from the mind of legendary designer Pat Lawler comes an original Jersey Jack production. Are you dialed in? I think it would be healthy for everyone to enjoy a podcast this weekend that doesn't talk about Star Wars. So let's talk about the other juggernaut title that is about to launch next week, Dialed In, Jersey Jack Pinball's third title, highly anticipated Pat Lawler title. Uh, I've been wanting to talk to Jersey Jack for a long time, for months, and he kept saying, let's wait until we're a little bit closer to dialed in shipping. And I finally got an email inviting me to come down to Jersey Jack's factory in New Jersey um, this Thursday, today, uh, June 1st. And it's a beautiful day. I woke up early in the morning and I drove there uh, and I got to spend the first half of the day with Jack. Um, I met his daughter, Jen, his son, Jack, uh, and and a few other people who worked there. There was a lot of activity going on making the dialed-ins, and it was really exciting. It was really exciting. Uh, as you know, listener of the show, I have a dialed-in collector's edition uh, that I have on order. And after seeing what I saw today, nothing has changed my mind. In fact, I'm even more excited uh, hearing the story and listening to Jack talk about his company, um, I'm even more excited to take ownership of these games. Uh, and I know that Jersey Jack has had ups and downs. And I think we see this with all new companies uh, that start out to make pinball machines. But I think we all can agree on one thing. Uh, Jersey Jack has, since the beginning of his company, set himself on a mission to make the best possible pinball machines out there without cutting any corners. So much so that I think he put so much into the Wizard of Oz that it sent him into a financial tailspin. Uh, but he, Jack's a fighter, and you'll hear this in our interview, that Jack is a man that uh, sets his goals on something and he's not going to give up, and they haven't given up. And I think this is a really big time for their company because I do feel like they've finally hit their stride with this third title. I think they've hit their stride in terms of uh, giving people a game that uh, is, is as beautiful to play as it is to look at. Uh, and I know people had an aversion to the theme, but man, anyone who plays Dialed In, anyone who actually plays it, uh, will walk away with a mostly positive, enthusiastic uh, feeling about the game. And this is not just me saying it. I'm not a shill for this game. Uh, I, I think if you go onto the threads and you read the reviews of the game, I, I think you're seeing uh, glowing remarks for this game. And I have to say, you know, it, it was great to just sit down and talk with Jack and hear some of his stories and, and listen to uh, to him just talk about what it was like starting this company and, and, and the different hurdles they faced and, and what the future really holds. So we talked for about a little bit over an hour, about an, almost an hour and 20 minutes. I want to air that for you guys. I used my little snowball recorder. Uh, and I'll say this before I hit play on the interview. Uh, it's really exciting to have Star Wars and Dialed In both coming out around the same time, giving pinball enthusiasts two machines that will most likely be incredibly fun, um, will most likely bring hours and hours of entertainment and enjoyment, and they're both so radically different. They both go out trying to make um, a fun pinball experience uh, with, 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 with completely different approaches. And I think that's great. 
I think it's great that we can have an original Pat Lawler game at the same time as a juggernaut theme like Star Wars. Um, now, you look, you know my feelings. I don't think it's apples to apples in terms of where the value is. I, I fundamentally believe if you put a dialed in next to a Star Wars or next to a modern Stern, um, you're still getting better value right now from Jersey Jack Pinball. And from the sound of it, this is just the beginning. And, and Jack and company are on a mission to constantly be innovating and, and sort of striving to make what they believe is the perfect and the best pinball machine of all time. Um, it's an ambitious goal. And, you know, I think Dialed In is showing people that they are bringing stuff to pinball that nobody else is bringing. So let me air this interview. Enjoy it. This is going to be the only Canada Pinball podcast you're going to get all week. And I know I've been inundating you guys with tons of stuff. And because Star Wars is colliding. But you know what? Let's take a break from Star Wars. And let's, let's hear about Dialed In and Jersey Jack Pinball. And decide where will your money go. For most of you, it's probably going to go to both of these pins. That's my hunch. Here's the interview. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Canada's Pinball Podcast on the road, playing hooky from work, hanging out with Jersey Jack in New Jersey at Jersey Jack Pinball. Jack, welcome to the show. Thank you, and welcome to Jersey Jack Pinball. What could be better than playing hooky at a pinball factory? I know. Who's, I'm gonna, be, who's better than you, really? <laughs> I'm going to have to like, be careful posting photos on, on social media. Um, Jack, this has been a long time coming. I'm glad we're doing this. I've been hitting you up on email many times, being like, when can we talk? When can we talk? I'm in on Dialed In. Like, talk to me. Um, so welcome to the show. Have you ever listened to Canada's Pinball Podcast? I have to admit, no. Um, but I guess I might have to. You know, I never listen to myself. I can't take my accent, and hearing myself one time is pretty much enough. So uh, I'll have to listen to what you have going on. All right. There might be some. Do you hot, have anybody that listens to you? I mean, what, yeah, what was we, your story? You got we, thrown off a of pin side or whatever. Yeah, I got I kicked off a of pin side. I decided to do a podcast as a way to still uh-huh. um, make my voice heard, and we get about a thousand listeners per really? episode. So wow, that's very cool. Yeah, so it's 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 not bad, and um, there might be some Hobbit episodes you might want to skip if you go back and. Okay, and well, look that's at, all right. We could take criticism. That's right. Okay. Well, Jack, this is an exciting time, and I, I just got a nice tour of the factory, and I, I can verify that dial. Ins are on the line. Let's start at the. Let's start where we are now. So, okay. how excited are you that Dialed In is sort of your next title? You know, I'm. Uh, before you got here, I was stretching on the floor. I was uh, getting ready for my cartwheel. Uh, <laughs> next week, I'm pretty sure we'll be shipping games. Uh, you saw everything that's going on back there. Um, there's nothing like a new product launch. I think if you talk to anybody that has a business. And they worked on something, whether they worked on it a week, a month, a year, 10 years. Um, it's very exciting to finally get your product into market and in, into customers' hands. And mm-hmm. it's it's a really great time. Uh, right. it's, a, it's a nice time of the year. Everybody's outside right. and you're feeling good. And uh, it's never a bad time to sell a really great pinball machine. So right. we're really excited. And Dialed In has been a, a long journey for you. So you connected with Pat Lawler, you were telling me, way back in 2013. Now, was that, that, was, was that before you started Jersey Jack Pinball? No. Uh, Jersey Jack was started in 2011, January okay. 1st, 2011. And really, um, there was a story I saw somebody re, uh, republish the other day about how Pat came to work for the company. And uh, we rented a building from him in Harvard, Illinois, uh, where it was his design studio for PLD. 
and uh, it was under this big water tower in the, the middle of you know nowhere really. And we rented that space in March of '11, and we were there a couple of years till we you know before we moved out of there. But you know Pat was really our landlord. He right. he said hello goodbye. He didn't interfere with anything. He didn't ask anything. And, um, you know, I, I really think he thought I was probably crazy for doing this. Uh, he didn't tell me in so many words, but I, th I think uh, he was just hoping, you know, we'd pay the rent every month. Right. And when did you approach him and say, hey, Pat, like, I want you to make a game for me and I want to give you sort of creative carte blanche to just go into your creative mind and, and, and kick us back something? Well, you know, we've been friends since uh, the, the Stern days, right? Because um, I was Stern's biggest distributor with PinballSales.com, and we sold, you know, thousands of Stern games. When Pat came in and did Monopoly in 2001, uh, Pat, you know, is a traditional guy, and he really wants to see games on commercial locations. Right. It's not that he's against having games in people's homes, but kind of, you know, the game is kind of buried and it's not in the public view per se. Right. Uh, when I started getting behind Monopoly and we did the Platinum Monopoly editions and we did one for charity and it was back in, you know, uh, Thanksgiving time of 2001, Pat and I really, we didn't know each other. Um, we, we met and we talked about it and he was, he was pretty much very supportive of what I was doing even though I don't think he completely 100% was behind it. Right. But if it sold pinball machines, that's all good. You know, never mind that you're not selling all of them to operators, you're selling them to home customers. So, you know, Monopoly was a really important game for Stern. Uh, you know, I heard years later that if that game wasn't successful, it would have been the end of the company. So Monopoly saved them, not, not Lord of the Rings. I think, I think it was, I think in a lot of ways, and I say it in a respectful way because I like Gary Stern and I like all the people there. I still have a lot of friends at Stern Pinball. You know, when you're building a product, and even if you're the only company on, in the universe building it, every single game you build is really important. Sure. You can't afford to have a miss with a game. Because that meant you spent millions of dollars and you spent a year of, of time and ordered parts and everything like that. And all of a sudden, you have to get rid of these games. And if you go back in history a little bit, and I know that's part of what you want to talk about, if you go back to the days of Sega Pinball, you know, 97, 98, there was really no home market then, right? Mm -hmm. It was all operators. And they were competing with other pinball companies. And Sega Pinball got in kind of like trouble by doing closeouts of games. So the distributors that would buy games, they kind of keep them in their building. And Sega, I believe, at that time, price-protected distributors. So, you know, there were closeouts on games like Godzilla for seventeen ninety-five, and games like Viper Night Driving and all those titles, mm -hmm. um, Starship Troopers, all those kind of games where they really trained the salespeople in the industry um, to not sell games until a closeout. So I think uh, history has, has shown uh, the battlefield of pinball littered with many companies that spent many millions of dollars that went out of business. You, right. know, you, you talk about you know, what happened with Capcom, or why Gottlieb Premier closed, or right. why um, all these things morphed and changed, what Williams did and why they did it. Um, I think if I was really a student of that history, 
If I saw that that video um, tilt the battle to save pinball mm -hmm. before I started this company, I probably would have never started the company. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I think as an entrepreneur that wants to create something and be positive about it, you should be rooted in some reality. But I think, you know, some of the analysis will give you the paralysis to stop you from taking a chance right. and taking that leap of faith. Right. Um, and trying to create something. So let's talk about that. About that, because you you had firsthand knowledge of how difficult it was. You 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 saw the sort of the battlefield of pinball. All these companies sort of closing their doors to pinball. Stern's really the only player left. As you look back at it now, you're like, well, it's kind of crazy to to have to create a new pinball company in a climate where pinball is just sort of struggling to survive. What sort of motivated you to say, you know what, like F it, we're, we're just gonna do it. Like I'm not happy with where pinball's at and I'm gonna do something different than what's in the market So right you know, I, I had a lot of conversation with, with Gary and uh, you know, at the time Jolly worked there, Mike O'Donnell was there still, and other people in the company that were really great. And you know, my whole, my whole motivation was to have great pinball machines to sell. And what happened in, in, as they call it, the Great Recession, is that um, everything kind of crashed. But, you know, I have a trademark saying in that we sell everything nobody needs. So even in the recession, the people that wanted to buy pinball machines for four or five or six grand, they weren't selling anything. You know, they, mm -hmm. were, they were holding steady and, and some of them didn't buy new things because their neighbor got laid off and they didn't want to be seen as being showy, right. believe it or not, buying a brand new something or other, a brand new car, a brand new pinball machine, as it were. And what kind of happened in 2009 and 2010 is that we, we got a lot of the simpler games. You know, I like Iron Man and I, you know, Buck Hunter was a game and NBA was a game and all those games that came. And people like Steve Ritchie weren't working at Stern anymore. And, um, you know, you had a product where the attitude was, well, listen, we have to make something for the marketplace and we have to sell something to the marketplace. And we're the only company, we're not the last company, right? We're the only company selling pinball machines. And they did the best they could. And I believe that they could do better. And I had a lot of conversations with people there. You know, they had a new investment group came in. Uh, Dave and his people and they're wonderful people and they're from outside of pinball, you know, and I had a lot of conversations with them at that time and um, the financial part of it doesn't match the timeline and the creativity part of it all the time, right? right. Because creative people will tell you, you know, there's no limit on creativity. Financial people will tell you, well, we only have so much money in the bank or we can only borrow so much money until we turn Right. you know, red to black, and we have a viable company. And those things in pinball are dangerous. You know, Gary is a brilliant expert at navigating through disastrous minefields, right. okay? I don't think he's a great businessman, right. okay? But he's great at this right. because that's what he learned on. And he, he's borrowed from his past experience, as he should, to navigate through that. And it's brilliant because together... We really did save pinball right. in, in a lot of ways, and, and I was a big part of it, and I'm, I was honored to sell Stern pinball machines. Uh, you know, really, the customer base that we built, uh, when Stern didn't give me that play field that was no good, I went and bought the play field and gave it to the customer. So we built a reputation that we were going to take care of the customer no matter what. Sure. And, and that reputation translated to 
when we started our own company, people believed that I was going to take care of the customers because I took care of them before. Right. But to go back to your original part, without the professorial answer here, I just wanted to build great games. And I felt that the time was right to start a company, not to put Stern out of business, but to build great games. Right. You know, I, I didn't realize all the baggage that would go with it um, in, in, in making that happen. And I think we made Stern a better company. Um, they hired Steve Ritchie. Uh, which was a great thing to do, um, and they hired other people. So, what kind of what kind of baggage are you are, when you started this journey? What what stuff did you just say, man? I never would have saw that coming. I never thought people would be calling potential vendors and potential employees and saying, "Don't do business with Jack." Right. You know, I, I never thought that would happen. I never thought there would be. Um, so there was know, resistance becoming, to letting you survive at the very beginning. They were trying to block your ability to just become a competitor. I don't know who was trying to block it. Right. Okay, I don't know who, but there was, um, uh, you know, an effort from a lot of different directions mm -hmm. to prevent us from being successful. And uh, you know, with me. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty relentless. Uh, you know, I, I can't lose if I don't give up, right? I always believe that. You know, if you think you're going to fail, you're absolutely going to fail. So we had to be motivated in the beginning that we were going to make the greatest pinball machine ever. Whether it is or not with Wizard of Oz, that's in, that's in the eye of the, of the owner or the player. That's sure. not for me to say. But I have to believe something to help lead a team and motivate people to do that kind of work. Um, and I chose some really great people to be in the company, to work with me, to make that vision happen. And, and by and large, those people uh, got us there. Uh, right. You know, in the beginning, I was kind of told, well, you know, it'll probably take 18 months to get the game done and it'll cost $4,000 to build. You know, okay, so guess what? It was 29 months and it was $7,000 to build. Right. Oh, well, so, you know, everybody just said, she, I, I, I didn't know, you know, right. but it was like, Everybody at that point in time could have left the company. Some people did uh, because they couldn't take it. The only person that couldn't leave the company was me. Right. Uh, I wasn't going to leave the company. Um, I was going to make sure uh, somehow that we were going to do what we said we were going to do. And um, doing that and being true to your word and having that commitment is unfortunately not the typical. Mm -hmm. So walk me through. So when you have this idea to start Jersey Jack and you know you want to make the world's best pinball machine to date, right? And how did you land on Wizard of Oz as, as a theme, looking at the market? And I've heard the stories, you know, family-friendly and bringing pinball back to um, a, a family-friendly environment. What was it like having to decide your inaugural theme? Because I think that's got to be like a, a challenging thing to say, you know what, like that's... That's the one we should make first that's right. going to launch the company. So the thought of this whole thing really was kind of around April of 2010. So in April of 2010, I was meeting with different people. Um, I met with Ben Heck. I met with Jerry Ellsworth. I met with a couple of our uh, VC kind of customers in California that were interested in this. And at that time, I was an owner in, and I was the CEO of Elout USA, which is a company that makes crane machines and redemption games, you know. And they're a manufacturing company primarily based in Belgium. 
and they had a game called Mistral. Not Mistrial, but Mistral. It was a, a pusher kind of game. And they had it operating in Belgium. It had coins on it, and it had one card that would come out of it, and you'd get some points. And it was like a $30,000 game, and it was not successful in and of itself. It wasn't really a great game. But I looked at it, and it kind of looked like a carousel to me. you know. And I, I thought if I could theme it with a license, I could bring it to the United States and make it into a really viable, good game because I had a different idea. Right. Instead of the one card that the game would have, a blank card, my idea was to collect cards. So make all these character cards and then you'd collect them. So that would be a reason for you to keep playing the game and I would make one chase card. So I didn't know what theme I was, I was going to do. So we had somebody that worked for the company, Drew Maniscalco, who now works for Andamiro. Drew's worked with Sega. Uh, he's worked at Chicago Gaming. He's had a long career in the industry. And Drew did licenses, you know, where he, he would go out and go get licenses for different companies. He did all the licensing for Chicago Gaming, for Arcade Legends, for example. Okay. And I was talking about this. Drew was with me in Belgium with some other people, and we were looking at the game. And I said to him, you know, what do you think this game could be? And, you know, he was clueless as I was. But when we came back to the U.S., uh, he reached out to a couple of different... Um, a couple of different studios and one of them was Warner Brothers and it was a whole list of, of properties that came back I couldn't tell you anything else that was there except maybe I was thinking of Three Stooges right. but I knew um, this game wouldn't be Three Stooges when I saw Wizard of Oz I said get Wizard of Oz Wizard of Oz would be the game to put on this pusher right okay and so by December of uh, November of 2010 we had the Wizard of Oz pusher at the IAPA show. And the cost to do it and everything with the license and everything made the game be around $50,000. So everybody loved the game at the show, but nobody ordered the game because of the price. Right. And we didn't have any on location to tell us what kind of money it made. And my partner at the time uh, was pissed off at me that I spent money on this license. But in with the Wizard of Oz redemption game license was contained a pinball license okay. as well. Drew um, got them to include a pinball license with the thought that either if we were going to start this pinball company, um, we would either uh, design a pinball machine and somebody else would build it. We didn't know what we would do with it. We, right. just, we just got it because we could get it. And in later years, I heard that there were people at Warner Brothers that asked um, other pinball manufacturers to make Wizard of Oz over the years going way back and they were all rejected right. as you know that's not really a relevant theme right okay so you land on wizard of oz and looking back now um the game has a lot in it right i think you put so much there's two upper play fields there's 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 so much going on in that game you got leds you got the big screen look the price originally was what jack like 6500 yeah, so... Do you look um, back on that pricing and are like, wow. Well, so the thought was, okay, if it's going to cost us four grand to, to build this game, uh, you know, and, you, and you're going to build at least a thousand and you're selling it at 6500 probably the two and a half million should be what paid for the 18 months to get there. And then you'll, you right. might start making money on game number 1001, right? right? So as you took the leap out of the uh, spaceship without a parachute and while you were halfway through the free fall and you found out that the price of the game was not 4000 to build, that it was a lot more, um, 
you know, there wasn't a lot you could do about it at that point. Uh, the, the thing about it was that when we first announced the game at 6500 that was about what Avatar, you know, LEs were going for, sure. around that kind of price. So I said, well, this is going to be that and everything. But then there was a time period where the game was 6500 then it went up to seven, then it went up to seventy-five. So there was a there was a real bonus for the people to get in earlier, right. the earlier adopters, the earlier believers, the earlier people that waited. You know, we didn't ship that game. I didn't do my cartwheel till <laughs> April 29th of thirteen. Right. Right. So um, it, it was a little bit longer than the eighteen months. It was you know twenty-seven months, and mm -hmm. I have to tell you those days. Uh, some of those days felt like, you know, they were six months long right. each day. And we were just talking as we were walking in the factory, taking money early, right? The, the pre-order model, which not just you, but I think everyone who was new to pinball used customer money to sort of help finance the company at the beginning, right? And it was like, let's get some money in. Let's keep the, the doors open. Let's keep the lights on. Looking back now, was it you must have been really stressed out over those 27 months because you know people have got their money. They're mad. They're on pin side. They're screaming, where's my game? You've passed the deadlines. Um, how, how was that? Like, Were there moments where you were just ready to just – you sound like a fighter. You weren't going to give up. But were there just moments where you're like, what did I get myself into? How do I get out of this? Do I need help? Like, What was it like? Well, you know, the yeah, I mean, all of the above. I mean, the obvious is the only way out of it is straight ahead. Um, in bad times, uh, I always answered the phone. I always answered the door. I always replied to my emails. I didn't disappear. I didn't go silent. There was no um, blackout period. I, right. I don't think I blamed anybody else. I mean, um, you know, ultimately... You know, I owned the company, president and CEO of the company. I'm responsible, you know, and, and I didn't want it to be, but my name is on the company. Sure. You know? So the responsibility lies with me no matter what. Uh, I knew in the beginning that the pre-order model was not sustainable, uh, meaning that by the second or third or fourth game, somehow I can't borrow money from my customer base. And, and this was kind of done before all these crowdfunding sites came along, you know, right. where... You throw up something and you raise a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars. I have to tell you, in this company, you know, hundred thousand dollars doesn't take us to lunchtime. Right. So you know, you saw what's back there. You, you saw you know millions and millions of dollars worth of parts. Right. You know, right. if if you're gonna build a game, you know, let's say you build the materials is, is six grand to build something, and you're gonna build a thousand of them. Guess what? That's six million dollars. Right. So it's real hard to go to uh, your customer around the corner. And, you know, I had banks that I worked with. I mean, PNC Bank, the CEO of the bank was a customer of mine. Imagine. I talked to him, and he knew what I was doing. And I said, hey, you know, can we get some? Eh, you know, you're doing great. You're borrowing all this money from all your customers. You're not paying any interest on it. You Just keep doing what you're doing. And I'm like, really? Keep yeah, doing what I'm yeah. doing. I can't keep doing what I'm doing. This is ridiculous. You mm -hmm. know, it's, it, it's not for... And again, I'm not, you know... Uh, an amazing, uh, you know, the world's greatest business person kind of thing. But I will tell you, doing this is not for everybody, okay? And that's probably a mouthful. That's almost the mouthful that somebody coined the phrase, you know, pinball is hard. Right. Um, this, this is not for everybody. And uh, I, I think at some stage I joked, you know, people joked with me. They said, you know, 
I think Jonathan Justin said to me one time, you know, you made it look easy for people and they jumped in and they tried to be Jack. Um, maybe, maybe that's true. I don't know. Right. So we go through this period, Jack, where Wizard of Oz finally gets out. You finally have games shipping, so there must have been some elation there. And then Title Two, and I want to go we'll go through quickly because I want to get the dialed in and what's going on in the hobby because I do think you guys. How I think many shows got, are you going to make that out of this? Uh, there'll probably be one. What's your typical show? It's usually How like long is your typical interviews show? are like an hour, so we'll probably okay. do an hour and then we'll we'll, we'll, okay. we'll go we'll chill. Go to Jersey Mike's or something. Yeah, we'll go have some fun lunch. I want to find out why you were thrown off. Pins uh, I, and I'll let you know. Okay. Part of it has to do with the Hobbit. I'll give you the backstory. <laughs> Um, so I don't really want to know. It's, uh, it's not bad. Uh, okay. So Hobbit. Sucks. So Waz comes out. You finally, you know, I don't want to go into like the whole lightboard issues. I mean, there's mm-hmm. going to be technical issues with games, and they yeah. get figured out. Um, pinball people are very impatient, and you know they want their toy fixed immediately when something goes wrong. So you get through that hurdle. You announce Hobbit. You had the whole issue at at Expo where you show the play field, you go back, you rework the game because I think in your nature you want it to be as perfect as possible. That's where you sort of hit a wall. And there was a lot of speculation of, is he going to make it, right? Is Jersey Jack going to be able to push through at this period? And you you got an investor. And I think the reason why I want to talk about this because this is very relevant to what's going on with a lot of other pinball manufacturers in current day is you're going to reach a point where you do need a cash influx um, to keep the train moving, right? It's a, it, as I was walking this factory with all those parts and the line and the workers and everything, the rent, everything adds up, right? Um, and if you have delays, that eats away at your ability uh, to keep the business running. So at what point did you say, I, I got to go get an investor? And was it something that you know, was easy to do? Was it, a, was it a long process? You don't have to give me a lot of like the specific details, but at what point were you like, I just, if I can just get a little help here, we can push through because I know I've got a dynamite third title. I know I need to just, you know, keep us in business and get these hobbits out. Right. Well, the fundamentals of what you do when you, when you have a startup and it loses millions of dollars, really, um, you know, who, who wants to be part of that? You know, I could, you know, people with money, they could just go buy Apple stock and let Tim Cook be the CEO and watch stock price go up or buy Amazon or do something safe, right? right? So, um, you know, in, in around January, February of 15, you know, we, we wanted to recapitalize the company, which means let's get it on some kind of solid financial footing and not rely on our customers. You know, we weren't as upside down with Hobbit as we were on Wizard of Oz, because Wizard of Oz took forever to establish, you know. Right. So with Hobbit, we were still owed a good amount of money um, on games, but probably a little, a little, you know, I wouldn't say even, but a little under being even of what we built, we would get money. And, um, you know, all, my whole life of Jersey Jack is that everything has come from our customer base, pretty much everything. Um, you know, Butch Peel was a customer, you know, he's an amazing resource, you know, Lloyd, um, you know, the customers that put the money out when there was nothing to show and nothing to believe in. Um, even the guy that makes our videos now, uh, all, all, everything came from the customer base. So, you know, we, we had a couple of VC people walk through the building and, uh, they kind of said things like, gee, I didn't even know they made pinball machines anymore. So it's probably not a group that's going to put millions of dollars into something. So, um, you know, Jen, my daughter, who's a lot more brilliant than me, uh, said, you know, Dad, um, 
most everything for the companies come from the customer base. We have some amazing customers that love our products and are very supportive of us. Not that they'd be interested individually, but maybe they know other people that might be interested in investing in a pinball company. And um, it was real hard for me to, to say, okay, I'm going to ask some of our customers if they could help us. Right. But there were some customers that had already reached out to try to give me some guidance and say, um, you know, I can't help you, but you need help. Okay, that's great. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's good to reconfirm that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, one of our really longtime loyal customers down in Miami um, looked into the company, did the due diligence of the company, loves our products, believes in our products, and, and became a partner in the company. And, right. and it's just been an amazing experience. Uh, Leonard Abbas, him, him and his family, they're involved in the company, and he always likes to say it's a family business because my family, you know, is, is here and working. And I, I think one of his quotes to me was, um, you know, Jack, the only person in the universe that could have created this company is you. And I think the only person in the universe that could have funded this company is me. Right. So I know that's a very funny, a very kind of humble. Thing. <laughs> well, you know, he's he's an amazing man. Right. And uh, he is a guy that that self-made, built a bank, right. sold the bank, and gave sixty million dollars to his employees. Right. Okay, to thank them. He he's. Um, well, all successful businesses have successful partnerships at the yeah, top. Yeah, but they you... don't have people like that. Yeah. They don't have people like that. Right. You know, I mean, he's an amazing individual. He really loves loves pinball right. and you know his kids are involved and and they love what we're doing right and i really think if i didn't create wizard of oz and didn't lose that money it would have been better you know if he was with me in the beginning maybe we wouldn't have lost anything mm -hmm. but uh you know if i just created what was out there already nobody would have been interested in getting involved in the company it's be it's because of the product and and you know what Creating this product, there's a real high bar of entry to create a product like we create. And, and I'm not going to go like Coke versus Pepsi here because I love all pinball. But we're doing things at the extreme difficult level where it maybe could have been done at a different level. But again, we want to innovate. We want to bring new technology. Um, we want to keep getting better. We want to learn. And, and we want to really have games that are fun right. uh, and have some relevance in today's world of products. Not only the pinball world of relevance, but the relevance of the rest of the world that we want to show what pinball is for the first time. Right. So, uh, you know what? It's been divine intervention. I've right. been very blessed. The support of my family. You know, I, I could have never gotten through what I got through without uh, my family. Uh, my faith. I give God all the credit. I really do. I know it sounds kind of corny. Um, and you have to dig deep to make sure that you stay on track to get what you're working on, you know, to the finish line. Right. And I, and I think, you know, it, it's a great marriage that you found an investor who also loves pinball because I think, you know, money is not the solution to right. helping a company right. like this right. move forward. You need someone who understands the passion and the time and will have the patience to, to work with you on it. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about like present day. So we get into Hobbit. I got to ask a Hobbit question because I, you know, like I'm not the biggest fan of the Hobbit. I'm not the biggest fan of wide bodies. It's just my personal opinions about pinball. 
Um, but I've got a lot of Hobbit fans who listen to this podcast, and they said, you know, you need to ask Jack, is the Hobbit code done, or is there going to be a wizard mode that is on top of the three wizard modes? There are? Is there going to be a Valinor? Because they are they're, they're asking for it. So, look, um, <laughs> we were still updating Wizard of Oz code um, when the game was spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think right now, Wizard of Oz, there's a couple of little glitches in it that Keith is going to finish. Hobbit has been a labor of love for Keith and our other programmers. You know, we have four programmers now. I mean, Ted's there and uh, JT and, 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 and you know, uh, Joe. And we have just an amazing group of people that love what they do right. and they're passionate. And believe me, they read Pinside. They read all of these things. They're very... I don't want to say they're very sensitive to this, but they, I know they're very sensitive to it. Um, you know, Hobbit, uh, it's an amazing game. It's extremely deep. I know it'll get polished, and the people that have it will be happy with the game. There right. won't be people gonna, throwing it against the wall. I'm going to take that as a, I didn't, listen, as a quasi, think, there's a little bit oh, more to come, right? Yeah, there's, there's a little more bit more to come, okay. absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know what? I'd rather speak about it and you hear my voice and yep. my intonation right. and my sincerity than write a post on our news group and say, well, there's something coming, be patient. I don't know if it's going right. to make you happy or not. Right. You know, that's not me. Right. Okay. When, you know, when the game was first shown and people hated the artwork, including me, and, and we saw new assets of what Smaug looked like, if somebody didn't care, they would have said, screw it, it's done, push it out there. and, right. and that, I didn't do that. I, right. I sidetracked the company for almost a year, unfortunately, right. to make the right product. So right. somebody that did that is not going to walk away from it now. Right. Okay, so that should be... And I get... Look, we all have pinball collections, right? Because maybe no one pinball is the holy grail of pinball, right? So mm-hmm. we build collections. And your collection's probably not big enough if you know how many games you have, right? So... I think with Hobbit, a lot of people love that game. I saw that quote and yesterday on Facebook. Oh, really? That your collection? Yeah. I have, oh, somebody told me that. Like it's six a good quote. Ago. It's a good quote. It is a good quote. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Well, if you really know what you have going on, then you don't know what's going on. Exactly. But you know, with Hobbit, uh, I think the the book judged by the cover was people said, "Oh, wow, it's this wide open playfield and everything." Yeah, it's wide open until all the beasts come up, and all those drop targets do their thing, and all the modes and everything. And I think it's a really cool game. Um, I spent a lot of energy and a lot of time just getting the Hobbit license. Uh, I don't have to tell you that we bid against somebody else for the Hobbit license. And we were not in the running to get that license. And and we we got the license. I think we did the license proud. I'm real happy with the product. And, you know, we're going to be building more Hobbits because we have a backlog of Hobbit orders right now. So the small line I showed you that's set up for Hobbit, you know, maybe it's, July, August, that we go back and start building five or six a day as we get towards uh, you know holiday season and fill the back order. Is Was there anxiety when you're picking a theme that's based on a movie franchise that hasn't yet come, they haven't finished the movies and you're not yeah. sure if the movie's going to hit or not? We saw what happened with episode one and Pinball 2000. Right. You know, and Hobbit, you know, it, it hit but didn't hit as big as Lord of the Rings hit in terms of culturally well, being like a powerhouse. I think us being a little late and having a couple of missteps. I, I heard that uh, there were toy companies that went out of business right. that had the Hobbit license because they didn't know what Smaug looked like and the movie was released around the holiday time. So 
Yeah, do you know what the Wicked Witch of the West looks like with a 70-year-old property at the time? Absolutely. Right. Right. Do you know what Smaug looks like? Absolutely not. Right. Um, I've been, you know, last week I was at the licensing show in Las Vegas, and there were certain licenses there that I saw um, that are not baked yet, that are for movies that are coming out in 18 and 19 and, and 20, believe it or not. And I ran the other way right. for that exact reason, because... I need to know what's known. You know, the three p- types of information, right? The known known, the unknown known, and the unknown known unknown, <laughs> right. right? I need to know more of the known known than more of the unknown unknown. Right, right. Because then it won't be unknown right. unknown anyway. But, you know, the more information we have that a licensor could provide us, the better game we can make. Right. And if things are really secret, um, that's right. not going to help let, us. Let, let's talk theme because I think theme... When, when I hear people talk about Jersey Jack, I, I hear people talk about the quality. It's built like a tank. like It's all there. And people then, want to send me the bill for like getting hernia operations. Right, because they're so heavy, um, these 400-pound hobbits. <laughs> when we get to theme, though, I think, you know, where people look at – if you look at Stern, Stern really just – they go after like the, the themes that are pretty expected that are really popular. When you're picking a theme, um, are – are you looking at anything from the past? Because I think when we look at the success of Ghostbusters and there's all these 80s properties and 90s properties, which are themes that pinball collectors grew up with, um, have you started to look at, you know, maybe it's not worth rolling the dice on a future film that I don't know if it's going to hit. Should we just go with like a Goonies or like a Big Trouble in Little China? You know, something that you know already has a cult following and won't ever, you know, lose its luster. So I'll just change your word theme to license. Okay. Okay. So license is, you know, has boundaries, right? There's a fence around it. So you can't make the Wicked Witch look different than the Wicked Witches because they won't let you do that, Mm -hmm. right? Theme, well, you have the answer with dialed in. Right. Right. Because dialed in is a theme. We created the license now, right? And to me, the license was Pat Lawler and his team. Sure. So when we sat down in uh, Rosati's or wherever we were in Chicago for uh, chicken parm and, uh, and you know, spaghetti, and Pat and I were there talking about what he was going to do, you know, I had this, like, notion that he's away from pinball all these years, and maybe he's got this portfolio of all these games that are done. Here you go. Take a look at this. Or the, choose from column A, B, or C. Right. Even though we're in a, not in a Chinese restaurant. Okay? <laughs> and he didn't have that. You know, he, he had some ideas. And he said, I have two or three ideas, and I'd like to tell you what they are. And I have to tell you, his first idea, I was, I, I said, let's do it. I never heard the second or third idea. Right. They're coming, maybe. Right. Okay? So you just stopped him at one. He's like, I got three. He had me at hello. Okay. He had me at hello. Okay. Right? Because what was appealing to me, and the game wasn't called Dialed In. It had no name, right? The game, you know, for the trivia buffs, the game's working name for a while was called Killer App. Right. Um, because that's that's a real cool thing in an app that you get to. Um, and then we, we moved off of that into Dialed In. Uh, and dialed in has that, you know, triple meaning kind of like, you know, when your pinball machine or your other device is really set up the right way, it's really dialed in. Uh, plus, you know, people don't dial phones anymore, right? They used to dial them when they were rotary, but now 
it's kind of different. There's some some different throwback terminology, but I I really wasn't hung up on the name. How did he sell it to you? Like what what? Because so you know it took a lot of explaining for what the game was going to be. Right. And I, I tell you what happened. Um, as he was explaining it, I'm looking at him <laughs> in his eye with his crazy glasses on, and I didn't hear a word he said. <laughs> and as he was talking about this, I was imagining all the things the game could be, and I said. You know, this is Pat, and Pat's really excited. This is the same guy that said that there's not going to be any more pinball. And he's so excited, and he's so animated. And if I let this guy loose, I'm going to get a game that's so spectacular, so much better than when I was an operator, and I first unboxed Funhouse at a location where people crowded around it and saw the Rudy head. Right. Or, or so much better than Adam's Family, or so much better than Twilight Zone. I said, you know what? If he's really excited about this, let him go with it. Right. Let him go with it. Right. And and I think he was still talking. An unshackled and, Pat Law. And I kind of and I kind of got it. And and look, there's a danger to that because if I tell you, uh, you know, Chris, we're going to build a um, a campfire, go in the woods and and get some firewood, and you cut the whole forest down, right? In your mind, you got the firewood. You know, when maybe an armful would have been good enough, right? right. So. I think with Pat a lot of times and really passionate people that are creative, good enough is never good enough. You know, Pat was, the game that went to Expo is not the game we're building on the line back there. You know, there are so many things that changed on the game that became better because of the seven or eight month testing period right. on location, tweaking it, playing with it. Can you name a few of those changes that... You'll you'll see all of them. Right. I mean, plastics move, post right. move, the subtle things that, you know, people said, why the hell is he doing that? You know, right. be because he can. Right. Um, some of them, uh, you know, to an outsider, maybe something like, you know, that wasn't really necessary. You know, he's the guy that's designing the game. Right. You know, if he thinks it's necessary, within reason... I think he should be able to have that latitude to do that. Now, when you don't have a budget or a timeline, and honestly, his game didn't have a budget or a timeline. It was going to be done when it was done. You know, we have a mutual friend in Eugene Jarvis in the industry from Roth Rolls. Eugene has some great sayings, and one of them is, you know, the game is done when the game is done. Pat will tell you it's like cooking a meal. You know, it's got to simmer on the stove. It's got to... Uh, work through itself. You have to play it. You have to have different iterations of it. Right. And that takes time to get it right. Dialed in right now, why is everybody, for the most part, love the game? Because it's like putting on an old pair of jeans. It's like putting on your most comfortable pair of jeans when you play that game. And it feels so smooth. And it shoots so great. And so many things are so familiar about it. And so many things about it are so new. That's why everybody has that holy cow moment. Right. And they say, you know what? I was just at Pinagogo, right, in California. Not a lot of people in California so dialed in, okay, until the show. Mm -hmm. I had longtime customers. I'm talking 10, 12, 15-year pinball sales customers came up to me and said, you know, I'm not going to get this game. I really don't like the name. You know, I do like the artwork. I don't like the guy with the phone, you know, whatever. Did you play the game? No. You're going to play the game? Well, it's a big line. Look, play the game. Mm -hmm. Come find me during the weekend. Let me know what you think. If you hate it, you love it, whatever. You know, I don't want to sound like Jack the Salesman, okay? But I have to tell you, 
everybody that played the game came to me and said, I'm going to sell something to make room for it. I just ordered one. I'm ordering one now. I can't wait for it. You were right. Mm -hmm. It was not about really me being right because I could tell you something's great until you taste it and touch it and you say it's not great because your reality and my respect for you as the end user and the customer and the player, you're going to determine what's what's real, not me. I can type it and market it and package it, put lipstick on it as much as you want until reality is your reality. And I'll tell you what, we have a monster game. That game is killing it on location earnings-wise. We have operators calling us every single day, buying more of these games. Remember, what am I? I'm an electronics technician. I'm an operator, right? I fixed tens of thousands of pinball machines. I've operated thousands of pinball machines. We wanted a game that, again, would be what Pat wanted with Monopoly, a game that could actually go on a location, not break, and make money. And we have it with Dialed In. We have it. Let's talk about the launch of Dialed In, right? So you've, you've got this labor of love of Pat, his creative genius has been let loose, he's got no budget, no timeline. It comes time to release the game, right? And you're at Expo, the room is packed, There's, I think there were like five games with, with black sheets on them, it's people speculating that the back box is tall or all this stuff. Um, you, you, you launch it and the response to the launch is a little lukewarm, right? And I think there was like, a, if you could go back, if you could relaunch Dialed In in a way that got the excitement to where the gameplay is, would you have done it any differently in terms of introducing it to people, explaining it to people a little bit differently? Well, you know, let's talk about expectations. Right? <laughs> so anybody that expects something has a preconceived notion of X, right? Um, it's rare that that preconceived notion with pinball people, with us, is exceeded immediately. Right. Okay. Usually it's, uh, you know, I, God, wow, I'm disappointed. I, I wish it could have been. So whatever the name of it was, you know, Rose by any other name smells the same, right? So when I saw games like Pac-Man the first time, I said, what a jerky name that is. Or I saw Donkey Kong. Right. What, what the heck is that kind of name? So the name didn't really bother me at all, right? right. But I was, I was in the woods. I was really close to it. The launch, I just wanted the launch to be about the product. I didn't want to get into the technical side of the game. Right. We had an opportunity Friday night to do what we call the deep dive. And people expect, oh, they're doing Jaws. It's a deep dive. You know, you got to <laughs> love people. I love it. Um, we had an opportunity the next night to spend all the time you want, pull the game apart, talk about everything. Um, you know, I, I let Pat do what he wanted to do right. again. Um, I don't regret it. I don't regret anything about that evening. I think I had Charles Thomas, uh, one of our uh, longtime loyal uh, customers, periscope the thing. And, you know, there were people making all kinds of uh, snarky comments and stuff like that, whether they were lovers or haters. Uh, Maybe we could have done that a little different. It would be nice if if we had our video that we released a couple weeks ago be the thing you show and a light comes up and you know I drop the mic and here's the game and everybody rushes up and plays it and just shuts up and loves it. Um, I don't think you can have a bad launch to a good product. Uh, You know when when they did you know uh, new Pepsi or new Coke it was a bad product. It wasn't you know you're in marketing so I don't have to tell you what what we know but for the benefit of the people listening um, really 
the product rises to what it should be, right. I believe. You know, I said before, never a bad time to sell a good game. Right. You know, I think our games, the gameplay really is what speaks for itself. We try to make uh, games that are striking, beautiful works of art, as well as physical, mechanical, action, pinball, with really cool electronics and new technology. Right. And when you see Wizard of Oz at a show next to Hobbit and next to Dialed In, you know they're all relatives, right. but they're not the same game. Right. They're not any kind of fan pattern game that's the same. They're not any kind of, you know, do they have familiar things to the designers that design them? I hope so. I hope so. I mean, if my favorite rock band started playing classical music, they wouldn't be my favorite rock band anymore, right? right? So I do expect some familiarity of, of what a designer likes to do. And um, certainly with, with Dialed In, um, I, think, I think Pat and John Yowsey, uh, Ted Estes, the whole team. I think the whole team. JP, the amazing animation that he does. Jay-Z. Um, you know, we have uh, uh, so many really great people. And then, of course, the people in the factory that you all saw to make this thing actually go together and work and all right. the... Uh, hundreds and hundreds of people all over to well, make a real game. I, I think what's really interesting, and I think you're right, is that you had a stellar product, and you do, and it's the the opinion on it. I've never seen an opinion take such a 180 as I have with Dialed In. And, and look, Pinside and the communities out there, they're hypercritical of like at the beginning of the name, and as people start to play it, it I, I don't think I've seen anyone say, I've played Dialed In, and I didn't enjoy it, which right. I don't think I've seen that of any recent pins. Um, and what I've noticed about playing it is how jam-packed it is with stuff, but yet there's no bricks, there's no air balls. Right. It, it's the geometry, I think, is where really where Pat's genius lies. It's not just in the theme and the originality, but I can see how it takes a really long time to design a game that doesn't have bad geometry, bad shots, because all those equal frustration for the end user. And I think when people play Dialed In, if the only thing you're frustrated by is the name, then you're going to quickly get over that. Um, so I kind of tricked everybody in a way, um, uh, you know, about a week later after Expo. We had the Buffalo Pinball guys here. We had Steve Bowden playing a game because I thought it was important to get a real player, mm -hmm. like number six rank kind of player, playing a game on a video, right, on, on a live stream. And, and thankfully those guys were available. They, they dropped everything and they came by. And during that, I said, well, you know, I'm kind of going to finesse the name of the game and blah, blah, blah. Because, you know, I had the Quantum City thing in the background, right? And, and we did change. You know, I, I really wanted the back box changed um, to incorporate the cool flying saucers in Quantum City. And John Yossi did that. And I love it, too, because it gives a little bit of a, of a different uh, taste on the game. Um, well, you couldn't believe how many people... During that, you know, called me, which I couldn't take the call. A couple of them I did, yelling and screaming at me, like, "Are oh, you a nut? What are you crazy? You mean you're changing the name of the game? I thought we weren't changing. What about all this stuff? Blah 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 blah. You know, and that's customers. Right. Okay. That was customers. They already got used to it. They right. were already right. bought into it. They already they, bought the T-shirts. Right. They bought the T-shirt. <laughs> they got the comic book. Right. You know. So right. the idea was to incorporate a little bit more of the Quantum City story. What it is? It's not a game about a phone or a guy holding a phone. You know. The, however, to this footnote is, pinball has always been a reflection of society. 
what's cool, right? There were a lot of bowling games that were made when bowling was popular or baseball games or when space exploration came in, you know, you had space mission and all these different things. And guess what? Whether you're on it 23 hours a day or you never use a mobile device, it's there. Right. And it it should be incorporated because I want to get younger players into the game. So being able to download the Jersey Jack Pinball app, being able to flip flippers, being able to see all the other things that are going to be launched with the Jersey Jack app in weeks and months to come to bring more fun to the game, to bring more connectivity, more social interaction, more awareness of pinball. That's what we want to do because I I don't want to just change the physical box of what the pinball machine is. I want it to become a viable piece of commercial amusement equipment on a route or in an FEC in a commercial location again where it it's more competitive right. making money it's not just an afterthought well we operate games in this barcade because you know the games are free and people will stay here and they'll knock down beers right. that's great i think we can get the game closer right. not back to maybe what it was when they sold 20,000 adams families but i think as more people come into the awareness of pinball you know, shows like yours and, and getting out there and, and becoming more mainstream. Um, it's a lot more exciting today than right. it was certainly in 2010. Well, and I think pinball definitely has sort of like the old curmudgeon collector who's resistant to technology. And, and I have to say something. I, Brenda, my girlfriend, when she played Dialed In uh, at Texas, this selfie mode, she was laughing out loud. Yeah. And, and I think laughing is one of the hardest emotions to elicit in a pinball machine. And seeing that and seeing her response to it is the reason why I ordered a dialed in. Cool. Is the reason why I have a, a collector's edition because I'm also just a lunatic who just needs to have the highest end version of things. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the marketplace that dialed in is arriving. Because on my show, I talk a lot about new pinball. And the collectors are, are the primary sort of listeners to Canada's podcast. You're coming out right at the same time as Star Wars. And I want to talk a little bit about that because I think what happened yesterday is interesting. So did you see Stern's Star Wars, like what they're putting out as? Well, I can't say no. Okay. Yes. Okay. So I think it helped dialed in. And, I, and I'll say why because I, I think and – I'm, and, and this is – I'm reading the feedback and again – as you were saying, so oh, people are listening right now. And they're saying, "Jack, no, Jack, be good, Jack, no, don't worry about." It. <laughs> well, because what I think people have been doing over the last few months is just keeping money in their pockets and waiting to see where they're going to allocate their funds. Because there's only so much room, and there's only so much money people will invest in a new pinball machine. Um, and seeing them side by side, you know, and I, look, I I applaud Stern, and I I do love the fact that Stern has a cadence of machines and gives us three to four machines a year. But, you know, Star Wars is a theme people loved. And I think when you look at the pricing, because you're also, Jack, you also are accused of, like, raising prices in pinball. But I think, as you pointed out, prices were going to go up if you wanted the product to get better and you wanted right. innovation in pinball. Right. If you put an $8,000 dialed in next to an $8,000 stern in the current day, I mean, I don't – I just think it's clear where the quality – and where the sort of creativity is going. Uh, not to knock Stern completely, um, but I think 
you know, did you were you somewhat relieved that they didn't show Star Wars and everyone's like, take my money now. This is I'm going to I'm going to go all in on this. I mean, as a competitor, because on some level you're competing for these dollars. Yeah, I mean, I could take the safe answer and say that we compete against every kind of purchase a customer would make, right? So whether you're deciding to go on a European vacation and spend eight grand there, or you're going to buy a new car, or you're going to, you know, do something else with the money. I mean, again, the the primary customer, again, is people with disposable income that buy everything nobody needs, right? Now, I would bet that most of the people are complaining, you know, in one way or the other, they buy both games, right? you know, and they figure out how to do it because, you know, the fishtails that I sold you back in 2004 for three grand, you're going to get nine grand for it now. Right. So guess what? Your whole collection went up in value because there's a demand for pinball. And contrary to what some people may think, there's no bubble right now. Um, we're still in the beginning stages of pinball growing right now. This is the beginning. It's taken a little bit of ramp up. But look, the economy has gotten better. World economy has gotten better. Uh, some of our European friends uh, have difficulty buying things because it's not a dollar fifty and a euro anymore. They're pretty close to us. Right. Australia's behind us. Yet in Australia, those guys down there, sure. they're buying pinball machines for fourteen yeah, grand. They're crazy. They they, they love crazy. pinball. They, they love have pinball. a lot of money. God bless them, Wayne. <laughs> Wayne and all the people down there, I mean, you know, I love them. They greeted me like a rock star when I went down there. They made me feel so amazing. I was just, you know, really just so humble. I'm, I'm on the Australian pitball forum because, yeah. of, because of being booted from Pinside. The, oh, the, well, they the Aussies have, they have they've welcomed me into well, their... Well, you know, they're a bunch their, of rebels down yeah. there, right? Remember, uh, <laughs> you know, the Australians, they don't, they don't conform to a lot of things. I mean, Wayne, you know, when I started Jersey Jack Pinball... Wayne sent me an email and he said, you know, if you think I'm going to help you build your pinball machine, you can go to hell. Right. And, and that guy's my distributor now. Right. So I love Wayne. You know, right. he's a great guy. Um, you know, you right. see these stories and people like shake their head like, really? That's <laughs> actually true? It's true. But you know what? Pinball is pinball. Right. And people get very emotional. They get very passionate. I'm sure if this was the camera collecting club or the stamp collecting club or the flower collecting guys or the bird watchers, they're probably all insane too because right. we're all human and we have all the same emotions. And, you know, right. so going back to what you're thinking about with uh, Stern or competitors or whatever, look, let's look at the landscape right now for a moment, which is probably where you want to go, yeah. okay, for a moment. You have Highway Pinball with their games. You have Big Lebowski. Um, you have Spooky. Uh, you have other people that brought games to Texas Pinball Festival. Who's going to build what and everything like that. P3, Jerry, still doing his thing. You know, people always have a choice what to do with their money. So my respect for the customer is I just want to deliver the most spectacular product I can deliver, and then everybody else has to compete with what we do. Right. It's not my problem. Right. It's actually their problem. Right. Okay, because when you when you think and you have people in a company all thinking the same, that they're building the greatest, okay? They're gonna build the greatest. And we are building the greatest. Right. Um, what Stern does it's great for the people that buy and play those games. Right. I don't I don't think it's a bad thing what they did. I mean, you know, Steve is a good friend of mine. Um, I texted him congratulations yesterday. He and I uh, 
texted back and forth yesterday. I don't think that's a big secret. Right. Uh, people in pinball have a kindred spirit. Right. Uh, they're very competitive, but we all realize that we're doing the same thing. And many years ago, I learned, um, you know, when I competed with people like BMI Gaming or Mike at Automated at Pinball Sales, you know, I didn't really talk them down. I let the customers do that and make their own decision whether they liked them or they didn't like them. You know, if, if uh, I talk them down and I'm doing the same thing they're doing, I'm really talking myself down too. Right. So it really, it really doesn't come out that Take great. Take the high road, make a great product, and, and consumers you're, you're will, will you're speak with their dollars. Off. Life is too short. Right. You know, um, Are you concerned, Jack, about other pinball manufacturers? Because a lot of them are stumbling, right? And as I walk your factory, and you see all the parts, and you see all the people working, and the line going, we've seen a lot of companies fail at trying to make pinball. and that hurts the hobby because I think what it does is, you know, people lose their money, their money evaporates. If a lot of guys out there in America, if they have to explain to their wife that their $8,000 is gone or their $5,000 is gone yeah. and there's nothing to show for it, um, do you hope we get past a period in that we sort of, the winners and losers of pinball will be settled shortly and we'll have a, a good enough amount of competition, but not so many people attempting to do this who don't really know how to do it? So, you know, with technology today, um, part-time people can kind of design a pinball machine of some shape or form. It may not be the greatest, but it's a pinball machine. Um, the good thing is that more than two companies or three companies are doing this stuff. Um, you, you know, as somebody that started a company and, you know, you had whatever chemical thing happened in my head that made me say, you know, let's, let's do this thing. I cheer on all those people. Right. Uh, and, and it's not in a, in a way of, um, you know, I cheer them that they uh, wish them well or that they fall in a wishing well, right? So I'm, I'm hopeful that it works out for all of them. Um, and that's in a very, um, you know, simplistic way, I guess. Uh, probably it's not going to work out for everybody because if, if 10 people open the same kind of business and you go to one pizzeria and you like his sauce in Manhattan and you don't like this and that, you know, you live in Manhattan, New right. York City to the rest of the world, uh, you know, the bad restaurants, they're not in business, right? right? They have very difficult competition and I think you have that same thing with a lot of products including pinball. Right. Uh, it's good that a lot of people want to support other people's dreams and that's great. So I guess we'll see how long the support goes uh, for those people. And if they're, you know, if you're either a dreamer, it's great to be a dreamer. It's great, to, but you have to be a business person as well. Right. And the battle for me was that, you know, I guess one side of my brain being the logical, technical, te you know, technician that understands electronic theory. And then the entrepreneur that says I can leap through that window. And once I get out the window, I'll figure out how to fly. Um, it's it's kind of a battle, um, and I just uh, I think everybody needs to take a lot of things down a few notches. Okay, so from having sat in that seat at that time, you know I don't know Andrew Highway well, um, I don't know John Papaduke well, um, I don't know the guys really at Dutch Pinball well. You know we see each other at shows and it's like hello goodbye kind of thing. Um, they don't come asking me for my secrets, and I don't come asking them for their secrets. And we have a respectful um, 
existence with each other sure. and, and you know I don't I don't see them and give them like evil eyes I shake hands right, I'll, I'll eat with them you know have breakfast with them I'll talk to them I'm, I'm very approachable I sure, want to sure. believe that you know um, uh, you know I still say hi to Gary Stern um, uh, you know I, I try to be I try to be nice with everybody uh, because you never know um, how the future goes really right, right? so I, I just think that the critics right that that immediately react to things Take a deep breath for a minute. Think about what it must be to be on the other side of that. I get that somebody took your money with the idea of X, Y, Z. If you're in a pinball pre-order situation, all right, just like just like me, you had to guess that at some point maybe that wouldn't work out. Right. Maybe it wouldn't work out. Maybe you'd lose all your money. Right. You know, maybe maybe you would. You know, so I think the pre-order model. You know, we talked about it as we walked around the factory. Pre-order model is dead. Right. You know, we're taking two hundred and fifty dollars right now, and it's going to an escrow account. Right. You know, when I took your money before, it was spent before I was able to run your credit card because I had to keep the lights on. Right. But everybody knew that. Right. It wasn't a big secret. You know, it wasn't a big secret. I think not communicating builds a lot of the walls. And what I said earlier, even in the worst of times, when somebody rang the doorbell, they were welcomed in. When somebody called on the phone, they didn't have to call me more than one time for me to pick up the phone. I think communicating, people believe in a disaster and you're a marketing guy. So if you're a marketing guy that deals with disaster companies, and a lot of companies have disasters they have to manage, right. most of them manage them very badly because human nature is to just hunker down and not share and be quiet about it and go into this, into this you know, self-defensive mode. It's probably better to be more transparent. Right. They're not. But human nature is not going to let you do that. So do you really want to know everything that's going on? Do you really want to know? If you and I went went out to a restaurant right now and we walked through the kitchen, chances are we might not eat at that restaurant. Right. We don't really want to know. Sure. We sure. think we want to know. Okay. Sure. And, you know, I get people texting me all the time. I'd want to know, though, stuff. right, if I ordered and my dinner wasn't out in two hours, right? I'd go back and see what's, what's yeah, keeping things. Yeah, I mean, you watch those shows like Bar Rescue or uh, those shows with Gordon Ramsay and right. these other guys where they go behind the kitchen. And, you know, that's what reality TV has become. You know, you want to you wanna know the bad. You right. want to know, you know, what the hell is going on, why this, why that. I kind of want to be the innocent. I kind of want to be the guy that just walks up and buys my product and it actually works right. and I can use it. And I don't want to know the whole backstory right. of it sometimes. I just I don't want to know that yeah. the maitre d' had a fight with the cook and, and they, they right, didn't. Right. And I, think I don't the want to know The community that. sometimes demands to see how the sausage is made, but you know, a lot of times that takes They're away. They're going to become vegetarians. Yeah, exactly, okay? exactly. Because once they see how the sausage is made, they're not going to eat sausage anymore. Right, right. right? And that's the, whole, it's, that's the whole premise of saying, well, you don't want to know how the sausage gets made. I mean, for a show like yours or for a lot of the things that people like, like Martin do with Pinball News, Martin is just amazing, amazing resource to Pinball. The guy, I don't know how the hell he does what he does. Right. Jonathan doesn't shut the hell up when he gets you on the phone. And it takes them seven months to write a magazine because it's not a magazine. It's like a book. Right, right. The passion that people have about pinball is amazing. The fact that you're here. I would be more upset if nobody cared what we were doing. <laughs> then I really have to worry. Right. Am I upset that people are writing bad things? Well, guess what? When they wrote bad things, at least they wrote things. Right. Yeah, they were harmful to me and my family sometimes, and they said some nasty things. But, you know, those people at shows, the worst people that worst, wrote the worst crap about me in the worst of times... They saw me at a show, 
they hug me, they want a picture, they want an autograph, and they say, oh, by the way, you know, I really didn't mean, you know, kind right. of what I wrote. I was kind of like a jerk, and I, I shouldn't have... What are they going to do? It doesn't feel good. It doesn't it just, feel good to get too yeah, angry in this hobby. They're in the moment. They're in the moment. And what mm-hmm. happens, you know, I'm old enough to have been on CB radio when I was like 14 years old. So CB radio was a great thing because you got to talk to people. And then sometimes, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn. Sometimes people would say things and they'd get in a big argument, whatever, and they'd be doing stupid things on the radio. And then they got together with something that was called a coffee break. And you got together like a Nathan's and Coney Island or Big Daddy's or whatever it was. Shout out to Big Daddy's, Jonathan Ehrlich, his grandfather. Unbelievable place, Big Daddy's. So you went there and you said, hey, you're so-and-so? Yeah, I'm so-and-so. Well, you're not going to punch each other. You're going to say, yeah, forget about right, that. Right. That was stupid. What? And you see the same thing at pinball shows. Oh, yeah. You see people, the same people thing. Are, people are so nice in person and so evil on the forums because it just it brings out the worst in people because – it's, it's a pressure cooker environment. And I think pinball is a hobby where there's not enough new news on a daily basis to Oh, you're these. making new news every day. I'm doing it, though. I'm the I only mean, one. You know, I'm the only one news. manufacturing yeah. the news every day. every day. But I think, you know, like... You, you know, you could be like the CNN of pinball. Uh, I'm, you know, I like, want to be the Rush Limbaugh Ted, of pinball. Yeah, when Ted Turner launched CNN, people said... What the hell is he going to do? There's not enough news every right. day. This is, How is he going to do this? Yeah. We're, what is we're, he going to do? A weather well, report? This will be like my third podcast in three days. So this will... Really? I'm, I'm, I didn't realize. Yeah, I thought I did. this was like a once a month thing for you. No, I do, I do these weekly. Uh, oh, and, you're going to have to quit your job soon. I, I know. That's, that's the problem. Well, that's the problem. This I, portion of Canada's Pinball <laughs> Podcast is brought to you by I, Jersey Jack Pinball. There you go. Well, you can be my first advertiser because nobody has approached me once about advertising, which is interesting to me because... Well, you could do what Robin and his brother did. You could start monetizing you know yeah. what's going on there. it's it's yeah. it's interesting because i do enjoy this almost as much if not more than my day job now. does anybody enjoy listening to you i don't know <laughs> i don't know <laughs> <laughs> do you get feedback like people, yeah yeah people enjoy do you get hate mail from anybody i not really i you know what's interesting then you're not then you're not doing it the right way I, I guess. well i used to i actually had someone contact oh, okay. contact my boss and try to get me fired once oh, from, that's cool. from something i said on my podcast oh, that's cool but we've moved past that <laughs> negative space in canada's <laughs> podcast Jack, um, a few closing, a few minutes. Let's we'll close up. But I want to ask about the future of Jersey Jack a little bit. So, and I, I don't expect you to give me any future titles. I know what the rumors are. I I know you won't confirm them. Um, we've heard pirates. We've heard Toy Story. You know, as we look at the future of Jersey Jack, I'll, I'll ask stuff in a more broad way. So. Are we going to see another standard body Jersey Jack game in the near future? Because I think what people also do love about Pat's machine is, is standard body. Mm-hmm. I know we might be going back to wide bodies, the rumor. Um, what, do you have a love affair with wide bodies or do you see it as like just your ability, your ability to get more into them? So what's the love affair with you know, going I th- wide? I think it's up to the individual designer uh, what they believe their game should be um, and why. Uh, so the designer sets the... Yeah, I mean, the, the, framework. Team, the team, the design team is, um, you know, I don't think you'll see a Hercules size game <laughs> or a super pin or anything like that. Uh, you'll probably see more standard size games and more wide body games from us. So right. there's a non-answer for you. And how um, many, how many, how many games are currently in development? Are we going to see the cadence increase? Are we going to see a new title maybe announced at Expo this year? So right now there are two games in development, and another uh, and a third game will be in development soon. Um, okay. So uh, I think what I ideally like to see, uh, and 
I'd like to see one and a half games a year. Right. Is what I'd like to see. So take that as as you figure. So two games line. every twenty four well, months. you know, is that no? You, you look 18 at months. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at uh, dialed in. Right. So right now we're just starting to build a game. We have more than a thousand games on order right now, and that, and that's not a joke. Uh, it's real, um, which is an amazing feat, honestly. Um, Again, for a game just you know introduced you know seven months ago, whatever it was, uh, not three or four years ago, where we had people hanging on. I mean, you know, Hobbit, the uh, the rate of orders was so long. We had you know sixteen hundred and forty one Hobbits on order, uh, but you you dragged it on three years. So right. this is only a few months, and we're over a thousand. I fully expect that um, we probably build more than you know two thousand. Uh, dialed in games uh, before we get to the next game and remember we have the second line so you'll see Wizard of Oz games coming to fill those orders you know it's only six months away from holiday time right. uh, you'll see uh, Hobbits you know still produced um, you know then you'll get into game number four and I think you know what you, you what you're trying to ask me is when will we see game number four you know this is the qu kind of questions you get when you get engaged, they say, you know, when are you getting married? When you get married, they're like, when are you going to have a kid? When you right. have a kid? When are you going to have a second kid? You know, when are you getting divorced? When are you, you know, like, when it, when it's time, I right. guess we'll show game number four. You know, could it be at Expo? Could it be here? Could it be there? Could it be just, you know, Stern announced the game yesterday. There was no show. Right. They just said, hey. Just arbitrarily it's date. It's time to show this game. Let's <laughs> go show the game. You right. know, so power to them. Right. Um, does it have to be at a show? Can we create an event? Can we do something? Um, yeah, we could do all right. of the above, right? So let's um, let's talk dialed in cadence because a thousand people out there are excited, right? Orders are coming in. Yep. How? What's what's the cadence like of, of, of volume? So you're looking at getting how many out in June, July? Like what? What can someone expect in so terms you know, of volume? So you know, you ramp these things up. You know, you you see that you're not gonna. People are learning to build the game, and you're making sure as you're building the game, you know, you don't have any childhood diseases in the game, that everything is working like it should, because production parts a lot of times are different than prototype parts, so it's possible that certain things can act differently. So far, I'm happy to tell you that everything is great. The code, you know, we're at 1.10, so games that are out in the wild right now, like at Seattle Pinball Museum, Charlie has. Yesterday, Todd McCullough was banging on Charlie's game for three and a half hours. Right. And the game survived, Todd McCullough, for three and a half hours on it. So, you know, games out there, we're still testing them before we're sending them. The game is code complete. Guess what? It's a real game. It's not a box of lights. I promised at Expo that the game would ship complete. Does that mean that in the future we won't add something to it or there's a tweak or something that we find out? No. We're going to support it. Okay? Right. It's a Jersey Jack game. But, you know, you want to grow up. You want to have the evolution of the company be, okay, I showed Wizard of Oz at a box of lights in California way back when, and there were 70 people online to play one ball at a time. Now you're actually shipping a game that's really complete, right. and it's a full game, and you like it, and you love it. Right. Maybe the next thing that happens is, gee, what would be a wonderful thing is you actually show a game, and there's like 100 or 200 of them in boxes that you could sell to people right there. Right. Um, you know, the evolution of a company, the evolution of a product, you're showing customers that you're doing what they're expecting you to do, right? right? You're expecting to not uh, repeat bad mistakes, right? If you repeat something that was a mistake the first time, it's not a mistake if you did it the second time, right? You did it 
unknowingly, on purpose, whatever it was. You, right. you got to learn to get better at processes and management and um, and have a company that's viable and makes money and makes products that make people happy. Right. Well, dialing is definitely making people happy. Let me ask one final question for the 150 collector's edition uh, owners or buyers out there, which I am one of. When, when are we going to see... The topper, when are we gonna see the laser etched side rails? When are we gonna have lunch with Pat? When, when is that final piece of the dialed in puzzle? Have you even started on it? And it's okay if you say no, but what, there's something, you're pointing at something. I can, what, oh. Uh, Jen was holding up something and I turned around and she had disappeared. Is that the, <laughs> is that the art for the collector's edition? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, can I, oh, okay. Nice. <laughs> it looks good. I, and that's the okay. I'm looking, ladies and gentlemen, at the collector's edition uh, don't back glass. I'm don't not. I'm not going to describe it. Okay. And there'll be is, now. Is the topper going to be an exclusive to the collector's edition? Yes. Say yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. That's that's all I needed to know. It looks great. I mean, look. I think the, the artwork. I'm, I'm comparing it to the. It, it looks. It looks really nice. Well, I mean, here's the. You know, here's the. I mean. For the sake of this being uh, video production, right? I mean, oh, this isn't a video production, huh? This no, no, no they production. can't see anything. So Jack has walked over to go get the original translate to dialed in and putting it next to the collector's edition. So, I'm you know, it's, the world it's, exclusive. It's different. It has different color treatment. John Yassi, um did a great job with it. What would I say that he didn't? Right. Um, so certainly, uh, we made the, the collector edition game. I wanted it to be more CX, right? Customer experience type of things. Right. So you'll be able to do things in software where you couldn't do them in the other games. Uh, you guys, you know, um, the, the idea is to give you a different kind of product on a very limited basis. There's only 150 games, right. which isn't much at all. Uh, and I think it's going to be something cherished. You know, I said, uh, I said at Expo, uh, you know, that higher-end game, we weren't going to make anybody sign a paper saying you're not going to sell the game. We're just going to make a great game, right. and that's going to prevent you from selling right. the game. So, And there will be no more special editions of Dialed In, Jack. Your reputation of... Well, you know, we got, we limited got, pulled, into another doing, limited. We got pulled into doing uh, the 75th anniversary Wizard of Oz, which uh, it was never on the drawing board. You know, okay. I, I say never say never. But uh, there is there is no reason to do another version dialed in game. Uh, right. There's not uh, you know we're gonna do um, the LEs and the standard games. I hope we sell a million of them. You know right. at Expo I joked you could get a number up to seven thousand. Right. Um, but uh, you know I, I would I would think um, everybody that gets a game is gonna be really happy with right. the game. The, the one final question: the cell phone. Well, don't even say that anymore. I keep saying it's like seven to go. I know so. this. This will be it. The okay. this cell phone interaction with the game. Right. Um, I've seen it work with the flippers. Will player two be able to also like disrupt player one's game if they're on it? How do you see some of the features working? Well, you know, everything is open for us to do. Right. Um, there are. A I'm lot recommending of, that feature because yeah, I think watching yeah. people play pinball, you can add elements of fun where right. player two is actually. Yeah, wouldn't it be disrupting. cool if I was uh, a teammate of yours? Let's say there's four players, right? And I'm doing things on the game to help you, and they're doing things on the game to, to hurt you, hurt us. Yeah, right? I think it's awesome. I, I, so I, you know, you're bringing in a lot of different dimensions that we couldn't do unless we had the glass off the game, and we can do that on 
on a location. Right. And um, th- there's, you know, it opens up so many of the possibilities to do with the game, which is what makes it so exciting. Um, you know, I kind of think of like if you could go back and say, well, Humpty Dumpty was the first game that had flippers. So that made all the games before it kind of irrelevant. And then for some people, you know, when you came into the electronic age of no mechanical score wheels, right. you know, that changed things. When you when you had two, two different play fields on a game, when you had a play field below the, the cabinet. So the physical mechanical has a limit, right? I think I pushed the limit on Wizard of Oz and Hobbit. Right. Because Wizard of Oz has so much stuff crammed on that game. I mean, it's just you know unbelievable how much stuff is on the game. Only to be outdone by Hobbit because when you pick up the playfield, there's not any any wood there. Right. Where's the wood? Right. You know, you think the whole board when you look at it is like a piece of Swiss cheese. Like, oh my goodness. So how do you how do you better the mechanical? Well, you marry the mechanical with other things that are not mechanical. That camera in the game. The value of the fun factor of the selfies, the relevance to younger people seeing them, the customization of that little, um, you know, sim kind of Polaroid on the back glass right. um, uh, LCD, it just blows everybody away. The right. the waving at the lottery ticket yeah, to scratch yeah, it yeah. off. It's um, stuff people have never seen before in a right. pinball machine, which I think adds to the magic and the excitement around dialed in. Well, Jack. Yeah. I want to appreciate you extending the invite. Um, it was fun waking up in the morning. I'm going to just say driving the Hellcat because I know that pisses you guys off on the podcast because I mentioned the car too many times. Um, I think you have a, a winner on your hands. And I think the thousand orders are a testament to that. And I think you've made pinball fun. And I think you've, you've also brought an original theme back to pinball, which I think people have been asking for. And once they got over the name, I think people are, are, are loving what they experienced with Dialed In. So we wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Um, we are patiently waiting for a collector's edition Thank to you. arrive. I only Collector can... editions will get built, so you asked a little bit before, uh, and you're wrapping up. But, you know, collector editions get built uh, probably as we get into the third hundredth game. Okay. So, you know, we have uh, some container games to build, you know, Australia and Germany. Those things take months to get there. Uh, we have a lot of standard games to build. We want them out on location. We have a lot of LE games to build. We have everything to build. Collector games for me, when I used to buy my Stern pinball machine from my collection, I used to get the last game off the line. You know, right. what they used to call the babies. Right. The parts that they had laying around the floor, I would get the last one. Um, I didn't necessarily want the first one, but we've baked out a lot of the issues of getting your first Wizard of Oz with light issues or your first Hobbit with other beast issues with dialed in. This game, we've made sure this game is rock solid. The kind of game that's gonna last, work, and and be reliable. You know, that's what we want. We want the reliability. You know, I have a saying that's been used many years. If it ain't broke, it ain't pinball. But (laughs) the saying is, if it works, it's a Jersey Jack pinball. Okay, really, that's what it is. That's what it's about. You know, we have uh, Frank Becker, who's a legendary uh, service guy, he, he ran Atari service back in the day. He's here in the building. We have Victor. We have Lloyd Man in the phones. We have Steve Zamonski. People still call me right. on weekends. Now, did and you nights. come up with that quote, or did what quote? <laughs> which quote? If it's working, it's a Jersey Jack. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, because it's, I don't think it's you're allowed true. to come up with your own quotes, it's, Jack. It's true. I mean, you know, it's true. Well, Butch came up with a couple. Okay. Master of, well, master of disaster. I think that's good, and I think what's what's exciting too is you guys put the game on location, and Pat himself made tweaks to the game, and I and I think, you know, when we've seen recently. Keeping a game secret, launching it, letting consumers be the guinea pigs for the first six months, playfield issues, cabinet, whatever other manufacturers are yeah. experiencing, it, it hurts. And I think people have high expectations, but I think you did the right thing by putting this game on location and letting people test it. That's how it used to be in pinball. Right. You know, once right. you get the, the cat out of the bag, let's test it. Let's make it perfect before people's right. hard-earned money goes towards exactly. it. Well, Jack, I really appreciate it. Beautiful day. Thank you. Beautiful company. Beautiful assembly line. Can I go around and take pictures? Absolutely. Is anything off limits? No, you can take all the pictures you want, and I think we're going to go to Jersey Mike's. Yeah, we're going to have some lunch, and then I'm going to try to... Everything here is Jersey, so... Okay, I'm going to try to sneak back into uh, into work this afternoon. Hopefully not. Maybe they won't notice that you're gone. I know. Well, (laughs) I know. Maybe I'm not needed anymore at Weber. No, Um, I'm sure you need (laughs) it. Thank you, Jack. Well, I ended up getting back to work, and my job is still intact. And I just want to say, in closing, um, it was really impressive to see a pinball company uh, in action at the factory. And I think one of the most impressive things is when Jack walked me into the back area of Jersey Jack Pinball where there's just boxes and boxes of parts. Millions and millions of dollars worth of of parts to make pinball machines Um, and boxes stacked, you know, like, like 50, 60 feet to the ceiling, all labeled, all numbered. And it sort of just dawned on me how really difficult it is if you want to make a pinball company in which you're trying to get um, a few thousand pinball machines out to customers. And it's not easy. And it's not easy. And as we talked in that interview, and as we see the entire industry struggling to get games out the door, uh, I do have faith and confidence in, in Jersey Jack's ability to get people their dialed ins. Uh, they're going to go out not as fast as Stern can crank out machines, um, but again, I think their their attention to detail and what Jersey Jack is giving consumers uh, is unlike anyone else out there. And we look forward to seeing dialed ends being unboxed shortly. I think a lot of you guys are going to be happy over the next few weeks, um, and we hope the other pinball manufacturers can figure their their stuff out or really get out of the way. Because I have to be honest. If you don't have your act together, JJP and Stern are are driving full force ahead. And if you're not if you're not ready, you're gonna get destroyed by what both these companies have in the works. Uh, so I want to say thank you again to Jack, thank you to Jen, thank you to Jack Jr. Uh, and everyone at JJP for such hospitality and letting Canada, the one-time bad guy. Uh, behind the scene at Jersey Jack Pinball. And for those of you listening who haven't had a chance to play Dialed In, I think you're going to really enjoy it when you get a chance to jump on the machine. I'm still talking to certain people who are like, I don't like the theme, I would never own one because of the theme. And I, and I really have to say to those people, get on a machine. Get on a machine. And I think you'll change your mind. I really do. Um, but it's not just me saying it. I think there's a lot of people who feel that Pat Lawler has brought something magical to the pinball world uh, with Dialed In. And, and I tend to agree. I, 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 and I think I call it like it is. I think I'm pretty pretty accurate. You know, I'll, I'll call The Hobbit what I think it is. I'll call Dialed In what I think it is. I, I'll say that I love Aerosmith art and I'll say that I hate Star Wars art. That's just, just what we do on this show. 
Even if it jeopardizes my ability to, to continually get interviews with some of these luminaries in pinball. Um, but with that in mind, enjoy this podcast. Enjoy your weekends. And lastly, step away from Pinside. Don't get sucked up into the Star Wars drama too badly. Um, take a break from it. Wait till you see the full game reveal on June 6th. In the meantime, this is Kaneda, episode 129. We'll be back on June 6th with more news about the pinball world that we all can't get enough of. Have a great weekend. The reviews are in. And Jersey Jack is destroying the competition.